You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Well, good morning. I hope you're uh, doing well, doing okay. Thank you, son. (laughs) Well, it's hard to believe that we're in the month of December. Can you believe it? (laughs) Okay, buddy. Okay, we'll talk at home. Uh, I'll have to stop asking questions, I guess. Uh, Well, no, it's it's hard to believe for me that, that Christmas is just right around the corner and we look forward to celebrating our Savior's birth all month long. And, and not, I mean, not, we celebrate it all the time here, right? Um, not just his birth, but uh, the reason he came, right? His death and his resurrection. And so we, we will, if you missed the announcement, uh, we will have a, a, a special service on the 23rd, a candlelight service here at 7 o'clock. And, and we really look forward to coming together um, as a church family, and I really want to try to kind of get everybody involved in some way in that service, so um, I look forward to that, uh, but you know, as we start this month, um, I'd encourage you to do something, whether it's, whether it's maybe an Advent devotional or a reading through a you know, chapter a day of, of the book of Luke or, or something like that. If you do that, by, by December 24th, you've read through Luke, so... Uh, somebody taught me that trick a, a few years ago, and that's, uh, that's something I try to do um, every December, and something you might uh, find helpful uh, to do as well. Um, but do something to help kind of redirect your mind to the reason that, that we as, as believers have so much to celebrate. You know, it's not about all this extra stuff that we, that we love at Christmas that excites us, but um, do something in your life to redirect your focus to, to our Savior, right? And, and we have so much to celebrate, not only this month, but, but every single day. And, and so we've been unpacking many of those treasures that we have to celebrate in our study through Galatians. And I'll ask you to turn with me there now to, um, to Galatians chapter 5. And we've been working our way through this foundational book with our focus being on the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul, in writing this letter to the churches that, that he planted in, in southern Galatia, he's, he's received news, remember, that these believers are in danger of departing from the gospel that he had proclaimed to them. And, and they're, they're in danger of following after these false teachers known as uh, the, the what? What are they called? Judaizers. Oh, better this week, yes. Uh, the Judaizers. Uh, they're, following, they're, they're in danger, rather, of following after these Judaizers. Um, and these false teachers were, were, were leading these new believers astray and teaching that, that yes, Christ's death on the cross, it, it did kind of open the way to salvation for those who believe, but faith alone in Christ was not enough to merit salvation. In addition to faith, they taught that, that believers needed to be, uh, specifically needed to be circumcised, 
Um, and, and, and then also come under other parts of the Jewish law. So Paul has been adamantly opposing that teaching through, through many different methods. In the first couple of chapters, Paul defends his own authority as an apostle, which has obviously been attacked by these teachers, to prove that his message was the true gospel, uh, a true revelation from Christ. And then in, in chapters four, 3 and 4, which we just wrapped up last week, Paul defends the doctrine of the gospel um, by, by looking at appealing to the Old Testament scriptures and uses some illustrations from the Old Testament uh, to, to paint the picture of the gospel and to prove that, that salvation has always been. Uh, how is it? How is it salvation? By faith alone. By grace, I'm sorry, I messed it up. <laughs> by, by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone, right? I, sorry for confusing you there. Um, so chapters 1 and 2 are, are very personal. Chapters 3 and 4 are more doctrinal. And, and now in chapters 5 and 6, Paul is going to turn um, very practical. Uh, what does all this that he's taught us and illustrated in, in these first four chapters, what does it mean practically for our Christian lives and he kicks that off in these opening verses of chapter 5 with a warning. So today's message will be entitled, A Warning to the Free. A Warning to the Free. And I'll ask you to go ahead and stand with me as we read Galatians 5. Um, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. So he says here, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you uh, who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait the hope, for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the visitors that, that, that we're honored to be with this morning. And um, God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for um, freedom to be able to meet together and open your word and uh, learn what your word has to tell us this morning. And I thank you even more for the freedom that you've given us in Christ. And Father, teach us how to walk in that freedom this morning. And in the coming weeks, God, teach us how to walk in that. Um, Father, I ask that you would speak through me, 
this morning. Move me out of the way. Lord, no one needs to hear from me. They need to hear from you, Father. So please speak through me your message to your people. Lord, if there's one who doesn't know this freedom, Lord, who, who isn't saved, who, who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, this morning, will you please save them? Will you please save them, Lord? And uh, God, we, we pray that during these next few moments you would be glorified and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> well, again, here in chapter 5, we see some really, really strong words from the Apostle Paul, ultimately from the Holy Spirit, because all Scripture is God-breathed, right? Um, Paul begins in verse 1 with this declaration of the freedom that we have in Christ. And, and this verse, verse 1 here, would be a great summary of this entire book. If it's not underlined in, in your Bible, I'd, I'd encourage you to do that, uh, to remember this verse. This is kind of a good summary statement of the whole book of Galatians. And I'm going to read it again, but, but this time I'm going to read it in the ESV, which I think is just a little bit more clear in this case. Um, and it says there, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. That's the first part of the verse. Christ has set us free by His death on the cross. And He's done that so that we would live lives that would be characterized by freedom. Not by, by fear, and not by uh, slavery, not by bondage, but by freedom. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. So don't go back to something else. So as a little review, let's think about the freedom that we've been given in Christ Remember, Christ has, has, first of all, set us free from the penalty of sin. On the cross, Jesus literally, uh, the Bible says He became sin. Who knew no sin? He, he literally became sin. He took on all the sins of the world and He paid the penalty of that sin for us. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took our death. Amen? He took the death that we deserve. He took the wrath of God against our sin that we committed. He didn't commit. We committed. And we deserved the penalty. And He set us free from ever having to pay for that sin. He's cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. We, we will never have to pay the penalty for our sin if we are in Christ. I mean, does that make you happy this morning? He didn't kind of pay for it. He didn't partially pay for it. He didn't come close to paying for it, but now you still have a role to pay for the rest. No, he, he declared tetelestai on the cross. That means it is finished. It means more specifically paid in full is what Jesus said on the cross. Paid in full and we are free from the penalty of sin. But not only that, we, we've also been set free from the power of of sin over our lives. Before we were saved, we were enslaved 
by our own sinful desires. We've been through this many times, right? Thinking if, if we just meet our desires, we'll find purpose and, and, and rest. But we end up coming up empty, chasing our desires. And then we need to chase another desire and another desire and the next and the next. And we always find no rest. We find no peace. We find emptiness. But in Christ, God has, remember, He's adopted us. Remember chapter 4. He's adopted us as sons. He's paid our penalty. But then He's not only paid our penalty, He said, you're forgiven. He, he, he's invited us home to be His sons and His daughters. And He's placed His Spirit within us to assure us of that. To seal that for us. The Spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, and through His Spirit, He has made us new, right? If anyone is in Christ, He is, what is He? A new creation. And we have new desires. A new freedom to overcome sin and, and walk in obedience to Him. You become a Christian and you, you suddenly start to want things that you never wanted before. And, and, and suddenly some of the things that you did want... You don't want anymore. I'm not saying there's not a struggle there, but, but you desire to walk with Christ. Why is that? Because you've been made a new creation. We've talked about that, that some and, the, and that walking in obedience, and we'll be talking about that uh, more as, as chapter 5 continues. But we're freed as His sons from the power of sin. And then we're also guaranteed an inheritance. Where we will be with God someday and we will be in a place that is free from the very presence of sin. And no more sin and no more death. Freed from, from, from sin's presence. And we'll talk more today about how we eagerly await that day. So God has set us free from the penalty, the power, and ultimately the presence of sin He's also given us a new relationship with Him. We have access now to Him anytime we want. We are free. We're set free, rather, from fear of Him and set free now to approach the throne boldly as sons. The glorious truth of the Gospel. right? But Paul has shown us that we have so much in Christ. So much freedom. And he's about to unpack for us all of the, the practical implications of that freedom. That's really what chapters 5 and 6 are about. The practical implications of that freedom. But then, in typical Paul fashion, uh, and, and maybe you would say in typical Josh fashion too, I, t I tend to do this too, but he takes a small aside. Right, so he's a verse one, and he he declares this freedom. He's about to get into it, all the practical implication, and then he takes a detour for about eleven verses here. Um, and those are the verses we're going to cover today. Right, he, we're going to cover the detour verses, but we're thankful uh, for uh, this detour because in these verses we see a warning to the free in Christ, and and one that we need to hear and to heed this morning. Uh, he's warning these believers of, of really three things that we're going to talk about this morning. And the first is a warning against departing from this freedom. He's warning them against departing from freedom. 
Paul in verse 1. First of all, again, he declares this freedom we have in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then he gives immediately a twofold warning here. First of all, uh, he says, stand fast in that freedom. A twofold encouragement. He says, you have this freedom. Christ has set you free for freedom. Now stand fast in your freedom. Stand confident. Stand secure. Stand firm in what Christ has accomplished for you and who you now are in Him. Now, that's a little different than the world's message of, of you do you. You know, you be, you be confident in who you are and, and don't let nobody change you. Uh, that, that's the, that's the, the world's message. And, and it sounds so close, doesn't it? it it's so close to, to right. But yet it's so far away. The Gospel says you can have confidence, all right. Yes you, yes, you should have confidence, but it's in who you are in Christ. That is the foundation of your confidence. It's not just who you are, but who you are in Christ. You see the difference there. The focus is on what He has accomplished, not on what you have accomplished. And yet what He has accomplished has been applied to you, Christian. If you're in Christ this morning. So stand fast in that. Stand fast in your sonship. Stand fast in your inheritance. Stand fast in your power over sin. And the fact that Satan is a defeated enemy. Stand fast in that. Stand fast in your access before the Father. Stand fast in your perfect standing before God. Stand fast in your freedom. And don't let anyone convince you otherwise. In fact, that's the second part. He says, do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And that's what these Galatian believers were doing. They were in danger of doing. They were receiving this teaching that says you can earn a better standing before God if you just get circumcised. If you just follow a few little rules here, take it into your hands. You can be more sure. I mean, do, do you really believe that Christ is just going to give you all that and require nothing but faith? See, our human hearts, we don't, we don't, that doesn't sound right to us, right? That doesn't sound right to the human heart that Christ is just going to give to this salvation. We don't do stuff like that. Why would he? Now, that's unnatural for us. And they were buying into this false doctrine. And in turn, they were coming back under this heavy yoke of needing to earn right standing. This yoke of fear of being rejected by God. You know, what if I miss one of these laws? You know, what, what if I do sin? What, will God reject me? You know, for maybe more relevant for us, you know, what if I miss a Sunday? What if, what if I, I'm, I'm not praying enough? What if I'm not in Scripture enough? What if I'm not going to this or, or, or doing that? Is, is God going to be okay with me? Am I still going to be accepted? And the list could go on and on of those things. But Jesus says in Matthew 11, uh, 29 and 30, He says, Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is that the Jesus you find? I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, he says. And my burden, it's light. A lot of Christians don't feel that easiness, that lightness this morning. The Christian life is not meant to be this list of do's and don'ts and this heavy burden of needing to earn. You know, when you need to earn, you never know if you've earned. Like you can never know. Like, have you earned? Or have I earned today? Maybe you know, yesterday I felt like I really earned, but today I don't know. You see how unstable that is? Does that sound like a light burden? Does that sound like an easy yoke? That sounds like slavery to me. Have I done enough? Christ's yoke is easy and His burden is light. And if that's not our experience, it's possible that we don't truly know Him. Or that we, we need some adjustments in our theology. Good theology matters. Paul says, don't listen to those teachers and put a heavy burden of bondage back on. You, you just got rid of this bondage. Why, why are you going to put another heavy yoke upon yourselves? And then he warns of the consequences of that kind of life. First in verse 2, he says that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. That, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Christ will do nothing for you. There's nothing You will profit in no way from Christ if you take that step and become circumcised. Now, remember, circumcision was the work that the Judaizers were saying had to be done to be saved. But we can substitute that with, with anything else that we might add to Christ's work as a requirement for our salvation. Okay, don't miss the point by saying, well, nobody even talks about circumcision anymore. Right? We don't, this isn't even relevant to us. No, this is very, very relevant to us today. And this could be a, a variety of things. What's our version of, of this kind of, uh, this work of circumcision We've already mentioned some, if I think I'm earning my salvation by reading my Bible, or by prayer, or by showing up to church, or by leading in church. If that's my mindset, Paul says Christ profits me nothing. Others might say if you do or don't do certain activities, some say that speaking in tongues truly is what gives you the Spirit. Paul says Christ profits you nothing. Others might say being baptized is, is what truly makes you saved, or you have to be baptized to be saved. Christ profits you nothing then. Others might say taking the Lord's Supper. Others might say uh, praying for the saints or praying to Mary. Some might say that if you drink alcohol, or ladies, if you wear pants, or if you watch movies, or if you dance, if you do these things, you're not saved. And if we hold to this legalistic mindset like these Judaizers were teaching, Paul says, Christ profits you nothing. That is scary. We can't know the joy of Christ in that kind of relationship. We can't know the intimate fellowship with Christ. We can't know the peace of Christ. 
Because we live in fear of maybe not doing enough to be accepted all the time. We live in slavery once again. Only this time, our slavery is to quote unquote holy things, right? Then Paul says in verse four, 3, if you become circumcised, or if you think works earns you anything before God, he says you're a debtor to keep the whole law. And he said this once already in Galatians. If these believers think being circumcised earns favor, well, you're also going to be required to keep every single one of God's other laws. Ceremonial laws, moral laws, all of His laws. And if you mess up, you'll remain in debt to God. You're a debtor to keep all the law if you say that one law gives you salvation. How silly is this thinking that we can keep every single command at all times? I mean, you know yourself, right? I know myself enough to know that's impossible. Yet Paul says, if you can earn by any good work, then you must keep every good work to stay there. He said, if you got there by doing something, you've got to keep doing things to stay there. And for each and every one of us, we've already blown it. Because we've all failed to keep God's law at some point and probably at many points for many of us. Paul made this point earlier in Galatians, as I said. If you've got to keep one or you're unsaved, then you've got to keep them all. And only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus fulfilled the law, right? He fulfilled the ceremonial law. It all pointed towards Him. And He fulfilled the moral law perfectly. Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about these people. Matthew 7 is a scary passage for some. He talks about these people who will stand before Him and tell Him all the great things they've done for Him. He said, they'll, they'll say, Lord, we, we've prophesied in Your name. Lord, we've cast out demons in Your name. There will be people that have cast out demons in the name of Jesus who are not saved. We've prophesied in Your name. We've, we've cast out demons in Your name. We've done many wonders in Your name. And He says that He'll say to them on that day, what? Depart from Me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And you did all this stuff, but I never knew you. Of course, God knows everything about you. But there was never relationship with Christ. You see, it's about knowing Jesus. Faith in His worthiness. Constant dependence upon who He is. Not on any good work. Even the most amazing good works, it can amaze the rest of us, but it's not impressing God. If it's not coming out of relationship with Him, out of complete dependence upon Christ alone as our salvation. These people are looking at their works to save them. And He says that's not going to cut it because you're a sinner. You've already messed up. Your record 
was already blemished. You can't just do some good things and be made right. You have to be perfect. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. Or you have to have somebody give you perfection. Right? You either have to be perfect, which is what Jesus was, perfect. Or you're going to have to have Jesus give you the perfect. He's going to have to give you the perfect righteousness. And He does that by our faith. By faith in what He's done. We're in debt to the whole law. So we need one who is fulfilled the whole law. Next, Paul says in verse 4, You've become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. And some use this verse to say that these believers would lose their salvation. But we know that a true believer cannot lose his salvation because he never earned his salvation. Scripture says that that in Christ we are sealed by the Spirit who guarantees our salvation. You cannot, Christian, be unsealed by the Spirit. He has come to live and He's not leaving. We're a new creation. We're born again. Well, guess what, Christian? You cannot be unborn again. You cannot be unborn. You're you're born again. You're a new creation. How do you undo that? Ephesians says that those in Christ are already seated in the heavenlies. That's a weird statement. We're already seated in heaven. It's that certain for those who have placed faith in Christ. You're already there in some sense. I don't understand that fully. But in some sense, Christian, you are already in heaven with Christ. Romans 8 says that those whom He justifies, that means announced perfect, declares perfectly righteous, which He has done by our faith in Christ, those whom He justifies, He glorifies. Period. End of story. If He justifies you, He will not unjustify you. You're sealed. He will glorify you. In heaven. We've been made perfect by Christ's righteousness. And there's nothing we can do to unperfect Christ's righteousness. You cannot put a blemish on His record. And it's His record that covers you. I hope that's freeing for some of you this morning. Yet we do see some who would seemingly depart from the faith, don't we? What do we do with that? And there may have been some of these Galatians who were in danger of doing that. There may have been some that did that. And this is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, this is what it says about those people. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or made known 
that none of them were of us. That's a lot of, uh, that's a kind of a confusing statement, right? Uh, they, 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 they left because they never were one of us, he says. They looked like they were. They fooled us, but you can't fool God. They might have done some miraculous works even. They might have done some amazing things, but the bottom line is it was pretty simple for John. If, if you depart from the faith, you were never of the faith. You never truly knew Jesus. That verse really should settle eternal security for us. If you're truly in Christ, you will never be out of Christ. But some will fool the whole church and some will fool themselves. And they'll say, oh, I used to be a Christian. You didn't used to be anything except a sinner. And you still are. You're still under the wrath of God if Christ is not covering that sin. You cannot be unsaved. They never knew Christ. They never had the Spirit. But for those of us who have the Spirit, we cannot lose that which Christ has earned for us and, and imputed to our account. We have total assurance. Christian, you need to have assurance this morning. You don't need, God has not given you a spirit of fear before Him. And no fear of death. But guess what? If you have to earn, or if you're not sure about your salvation, how can you not be in fear? How can you not be in fear? That doesn't sound like the spirit of adoption. Of His Son. Paul says, be set free from that way of thinking. We see the assurance in verse 5. He says, for, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. There is the life of earning salvation. The life that alienates us from true fellowship with Christ. The life that requires us to keep the whole law. That was what the Judaizers were teaching. The life that has rejected grace and assurance. But then there's life in the Spirit. And in that life, we, we eagerly are waiting this day that's coming. The hope of righteousness, he calls it. It's some future righteousness. Now, at the moment of salvation, you are declared righteous. You are declared perfect by God. But we will not fully experience that and, and realize that until we're in front of God, right? We're in front of God, and He says, this one's mine. They're clean. They're perfectly righteous. We're not burdened by, by wondering if we've earned it well enough, this righteousness. Rather, we know we haven't earned it, but that Christ has declared us righteous anyway. We know we're, we're going to continue to sin at times as believers. And, and we're going to continue to struggle against the flesh. And Paul's going to talk about that struggle later in chapter 5. But, but there's coming a day when we will finally, in the flesh, we will experience in the flesh, standing before God and Him declaring us righteous. What a day. Can you imagine it? Imagine that for a moment. Standing before God. 
And he says, come on in. My son, my daughter, you are worthy. Again, not because you are worthy, but because Christ was worthy. And you've placed faith in Christ. Oh man, we, we long for that day, right? We long for that day. And, and, and guess what? It's not just an empty hope that we have. For those who have faith in Christ, it's, it is a sure thing. That day will come for you. God promises. That day will come for you. I know in the day-to-day, Satan likes to play the guilt game, right? And the shame game. And people like to, to heap upon these, uh, these, these, these extra requirements. But be assured that if your faith is firmly in Jesus for salvation and not yourself, this day will come. I don't care what anyone else has to say about it. I've said this on many occasions, but that word for hope in the Greek, it's much more descriptive than our English word for hope. And I even hate the translation because it's not the word. Like, we think with hoping, we think, oh, I'm just wishing. I just, I don't know. I don't know. There's unsurety there. Uncertainty. Will it happen? Will it not? This word in the Greek is not that. It is complete assurance. For the believer, we don't fear death at all because we know there's nothing left to atone for. There's nothing left to earn. Christ has earned it and He's given it to us. Praise the Lord. Amen? It, it is a sure guarantee of being declared righteous in the presence of God on that day and being removed from sin for eternity. It is a sure bet, an absolute sure thing. But the warning here is that for those who have decided that their salvation in any way rests on their shoulders, their performance, or, or their atoning of sin by their effort, the warning is that they're not saved. They've fallen from grace. They've, they've fallen from this grace which is freely available. They never truly knew Him. If there's something left for you to do or atone for, then Christ is not enough to you. And you've rejected Him altogether. I heard it said, a supplemented Christ is a supplanted Christ. If you want to supplement Christ with your works, Christ is of no effect. You've gotten rid of his, Him altogether and His grace. Some might say that this kind of thinking is reckless, right? And it promotes sin. I mean, that's, that's why Catholic doctrine at the Council of Trent said that if anyone says a sinner is justified by faith alone, let him be accursed. Anathema. Cut off. Because that's a reckless way to think that we have nothing to earn. It seems so reckless. I agree, it does. It seems reckless. Won't we just do whatever sins we want to do then? 
Aren't we just free to go on sinning? If Christ has, has just earned it all for us, aren't we teaching that we can just sin however we want? The logic follows, right? But Paul would say a resounding no. No, 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 no. Verse 6 says that, that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. In other words, good works don't matter at all to God in terms of earning salvation. They don't matter. Those things don't profit anything. But, what does he say? Faith working through love. That's what the Christian life is about. Faith that works through love. Good works do not matter for earning salvation. But they do matter after salvation. We were saved for good works that He's foreordained that we should walk in. That's Ephesians 2.10. And we're finally freed by the Spirit to do those good works and be pleasing to God in them. The Spirit-led life is a life that trusts in Christ's sacrifice so much that is so overwhelmed by what Christ has done. A life characterized by an absolute adoration for Jesus and His work. A life where Jesus is precious to us. And overflowing from that faith comes love. Naturally. And, and, and overflowing from that faith come good works. Come the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll be talking about in this chapter. If we truly know Christ, we adore Christ. If you do not adore Christ this morning, you don't know Christ. If He is not precious to you this morning, you have not been saved by Christ. To know Christ is to adore Him. To be so grateful for Him and what He has accomplished. And that adoration leads to obedience to His Word. Every time. That doesn't mean we never sin. But every time, that's going to be the pattern of the Christian's life. You're going to desire Good works. But they're not required to save you. You're going to love God enough to do what He says. And you're going to love others. And that love is going to override my love for myself if I'm walking by the Spirit. We're going to talk a lot about that next time. And then starting in verse 13. The true Christian's life is characterized by a love for God and a love for others that overflows from our faith. If love is not there, 1 John says, neither is true faith. So it's impossible for a true believer to approach salvation with an attitude that says, I'll just do whatever I want and sin now. 
don't be deceived. That person has not been saved. That is not salvation. The Bible knows nothing of that kind of faith because it's not faith. And the rest of chapter 5, starting in verse 13, it's going to unpack all of that for us. But don't get it twisted. There is no good work that earns favor with God. And in Christ, there is nothing left to pay for. That kind of thinking is met with a strong warning from Paul to not depart from the true gospel of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the second warning of this passage is about the dangers of false teachers. And these last two will go quicker, and I'm, I'm sure you're hoping they do, right? <laughs> but, but Paul says to these Galatians, he says, he says you ran well. You, you were running well. This race of the Christian life, he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? They were running well. They had received the Spirit. They had received Paul. They were walking in their freedom. And then these teachers cut in on them. Cut in their lane and caused them to veer off course. And Paul warned several things about these teachers. First of all, he says their message is not from God in verse 8. If you want to follow these teachers' message, just understand that their message is not from God, so you're not following God. That's what he's saying. Paul says that with his apostolic authority, with the authority of, of God's Word. And we can, say that of any, we can say that of any system that is works-based, which is all religion except for a relationship with Christ through faith alone. It may feel right. You may have great community there. You may feel like you're doing the right things. They may show love to you. You may have amazing experiences there. They may speak it with charisma and authority. You may be very emotional about it. But if it, if it is not the pure gospel, or if it adds anything to the pure gospel, make no mistake, it is not from God. We can say that definitively on the authority of God's word. It may feel good, but it will not bring life. Next, Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, if they tolerate this teaching and don't rebuke it, don't put an end to it in the church, it's going to infect the whole church. The whole early church, not just their church, it's going to spread. <clears throat> and with false teaching, maybe even that, that it's just, just slightly off, it's just a little bit wrong, well, we must still come against it, lest it grow and corrupt the whole church. Now, in most cases, that, that can be done with much gentleness because the teaching may just be spoken out of, out of ignorance, out of, out of misunderstanding, willing to be corrected. Right? And we, we have to be able, we have to be willing to correct each other. So, you know, small group can be a real breeding ground for false theology, right? If we let it. And that's an area where we have to be accountable to each other. We have to help each other. We have to come with a humble spirit, Right? And we have to be willing to correct when something's not quite right. 
um, that you're saying there. So we, most of the time it can be handled in a spirit of, of, of complete gentleness, but with these Judaizers, they, they knew what they were doing. And they knew that they were trying to heap up followers for themselves, and they needed to be rebuked much stronger and not be allowed to continue. We see such confusion today from unbelievers about what it even means to be a Christian because we have tolerated so much false teaching in the church over the centuries. It creeps in and it gains a foothold and then it begins like yeast to, 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 to leaven. It leavens the whole lump. Right? It begins to grow and before you know it, it becomes church doctrine. That's why we do not follow the traditions of men. No matter how holy those men may seem, we follow God's Word as our absolute standard and guide. Men are fallible every time. The Bible is not and has been preserved for us as a lamp in this dark world. We must heed the Word and correct any teaching that deviates from it. Paul says in verse 10 that he, does, that he does have confidence that these Galatians will repent of the road that they're traveling. And it's not so much that he has confidence in them as individuals, but again, he, he says, I have confidence in you in the Lord. Right? And so his confidence is really in, in the Lord working through them. And for those who are true believers, we see in Philippians 1.6 that He who began a good work in us will complete it. He will complete it. There's some security for your salvation. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But for the false teachers, Paul says that these false teachers, he will, he will bear his judgment, whoever he is. I think he knew exactly who he was. But this per he's making the point that you know, whoever this guy thinks he is. This guy thinks he's something special, but he's nothing. And he will receive his judgment before God. He'll be judged eternally. We see so many out there who would claim Christ and yet lead millions astray. I don't have a lot of compassion for that. Paul doesn't either. But we can be assured that God will judge them. If they repent, then God has judged Jesus, right? And we want them to repent. Uh, we want these false teachers to come back to Christ, to come to Christ, rather. And if they don't repent, well, God will judge them. And, and he can do that better than we ever could, right? Our job is to stand on the truth and to call out false teaching and to try to rescue as many souls as we can through the power of Christ. But God will handle their judgment. Then Paul in verse 12 says something pretty eye-opening to us about these teachers he says, these ones who are so adamant about circumcision as a way of righteousness, he says, I, I wish they'd just go all the way and cut themselves off. And he means with a knife. He means castrate themselves. 
strong words from Paul. Shocking statement. No, they might as well go all the way and cut themselves off. I think he means that both literally and figuratively. See, there was a pagan cult in the first century. The followers of Sabel, whose priests, they would castrate themselves, become eunuchs uh, to try to earn favor before their false gods. Paul's essentially saying that these Judaizers, they're teaching basically the same thing. So they might as well become eunuchs themselves. You might as well go all the way. Harsh, harsh. Well, I've never said anything that harsh, right? So when you think Josh is being harsh, you turn to Paul, right? Um, but, but really, it's the Holy Spirit saying these things, right? This is how seriously the Lord takes false teaching. We want to tolerate it, and, and, and we want to flirt with it in the church. Paul and the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. You get that out of here. Any hint of it, it cannot spread among the congregation. Correct it. And if it will not be corrected, remove it. God takes false teaching so much more seriously than we seem to. Because because ultimately, guys, He takes souls so much more seriously than we do, if we're honest. Harsh words, but words that needed to be said. And we today must meet false teaching with the same vigor. We don't have to use these same words, but the same vigor. Lest it corrupt the message of the pure gospel as it already has for so many. How confused is this world about what Christians believe? So confused. Nobody can, on the street can tell you what the gospel is. Most people in our churches cannot tell you what the gospel is. Because it's, so, it's been so confused by false doctrine. So Paul warns against the dangers of these false teachers. And then finally, he warns of the difficulty of the Christian calling. And of course, by this difficulty, I don't... I don't mean a heavy burden of, of, of working for salvation or, or fear or, or anything like that. No, in Christ, as we've discussed, we are free. We have Christ's light burden. We have assurance. We have His easy yoke. We have confidence in life and in death. In that sense, there's no difficulty. In that sense. But from the world, there will be persecution for the true believer. Paul says in verse 11, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased, he says. If I preach circumcision, then, then the gospel is no longer offending the Jews. That's what he's saying. But yet the, the Jews keep coming after me, trying to kill me. So I must not be preaching this. Apparently, the Judaizers were saying that Paul was inconsistent in this teaching. Perhaps they knew that Paul once had, had, had Timothy circumcised. If you remember, I believe it was Acts chapter 16 or so. And, and, and Paul has Timothy circumcised. 
And maybe they were calling him a, a, a hypocrite, these Judaizers. And that's true, he did have Timothy circumcised because Timothy was half Jewish. I believe his mother was, was Jewish, his father was Greek. And Paul knew that if Timothy was going to be able to get into the synagogues to preach to the Jews, to see Jewish people saved, he'd need to be circumcised to get into the synagogues. See, Paul has nothing against circumcision in itself. He has nothing against works in themselves. If being circumcised could help someone reach another person, as, as brutal as that would have been for an adult male to be circumcised, if it would help him reach someone else, Paul would say, be circumcised. Boy, that's, that's, that's how seriously Paul took his freedom. We're going to talk about freedom in Christ and what it means for our relationship with other people. But for, Christ, or for Paul, he would go to marvelous lengths to be able to connect with another person, to be able to share the gospel. Us, we won't even lay down the alcohol if it's going to cause somebody to, to, to stumble. We won't even give up food and drink. Paul says to Timothy, you be circumcised to reach somebody else. Again, this had nothing to do with his salvation. But it was what love required. Faith working through love. It's what that love required. That I elevate my brothers above myself. That I elevate non-believers above myself in order that I might win some. But of course, these Judaizers, they took this and they said, Paul's so inconsistent with his teaching. See, even he says people should be circumcised. But Paul's correcting that. He says, if I'm really preaching circumcision as a way to salvation, why am I being persecuted? If he was doing this, the Jews would have been fine with him and his teaching, but he wasn't. And as we've read, he was beaten and he was stoned and he was left for dead and he was tortured for teaching that salvation is by faith in Christ alone and not man's effort. And we too if we're going to preach the pure gospel, we need to be prepared for persecution. As Paul says here, the cross is offensive. There is an offense to the cross. The cross goes in the face of everything the world teaches. The world says you're good enough. The cross says you have nothing to offer God. The world says, believe in yourself. The cross says, die to yourself. The world says, you can earn. The cross says, there's only one who earned and you need Him. People don't just love to hear that their righteousness is as filthy rags and that their hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And people don't just love to hear that there's only one way to God and that there's only one truth. And that truth is that we're all under God's wrath because of sin. That's not a message the world just loves, right? It's offensive. And then when you go as far as to say, and you can't do anything about it, 
oh, we buck up. What are you talking about? I can, I'm a good person. Get out of here with that. I'm a good person. <laughs> not according to the gospel, you're not. You must die to yourself. You must surrender to Christ through repentance of sin. The world hates the message of we can't. And so they fell to hear the message of He can and did and will for you. They don't get that far. They get hung up on you. I can't? No. You're wrong. There's got to be other truths. And so they go searching for the other truths. If we are going to hold fast to the truth, we must say these things in love. So that we can share the good news of Christ. We have to share the bad news to get to the good news. Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. The way this world is going, the way legislation is going, Christians, we need to be ready to stand for truth in the midst of persecution. I don't know what it's going to look like. But it's evident that persecution is coming in a big way for Christians if nothing changes in this country. And our calling is to stand without compromise. We may lose our jobs. We may lose out financially. We may lose our lives at some point. But we must hold out this hope that we have and not be ashamed. People must see how desperately we're willing to fight for this pure gospel so that they can see the love of this pure gospel. They need to see our weirdness. They need to see the difference so that they will repent and come to Christ and receive freedom, the freedom that we have. And I pray that you're walking in this morning as a Christian, it's hard to believe already what our children are having to deal with in, in media and, and at school. It is hard to believe what is out there. It has changed so much. I'm, I'm, I'm only 33. It has changed so much from when I was in school. It's just gotten so much worse. And my heart breaks for these kids. We must instill the gospel, right? We, we must instill the gospel in them. And we ourselves must remind us, remind ourselves, first of all, of this gospel daily. I will never, you will never come here and not hear the gospel. I cannot do that. I don't have five ways to, to a happier life for you. Or five ways to be richer or whatever. I have Christ. And He is enough and He is more than enough. And we must constantly preach ourselves the gospel. Of who we are in Jesus. And as we proclaim that gospel, we will be persecuted. Persecuted. 
we will be persecuted. The Bible promises all who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I'm sorry. So you can make a decision. You're going to stand in this freedom and proclaim this freedom or you're going to stand for something else and go along with the crowd and avoid persecution. That's exactly what the Judaizers were doing. Trying to avoid persecution. We'll see that in chapter 6. The world will hate us. Just as it hated Paul. Just as it hated our Savior. But we, we must love them anyway. And we must fight for their salvation. We must lay down our own wants and desires for the sake of another. For their freedom. If we've been set free, we should want others to be free. And that's only found in Christ. Do we love people enough to proclaim the offensive truth to them? Even if it costs us. That's the question. As we close, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're a believer, this is your purpose. That's why you're still on this earth. To fulfill the great commission. To go and make disciples. Sure, there's other things we got going on. But that is why you are on this earth, principally. To proclaim this freedom. So that others might know. As we go into this Christmas season, and it seems that people are just a little bit more open in the month of December. I don't know what it is, but, but they're, they're a little bit more loving at times. A little bit more open to receiving what we're saying. Take those opportunities. Share Christ. This week, who are you going to share Christ with? Take opportunities to share Christ. Make opportunities. And trust the Spirit who has set you free. That same Spirit will give you the boldness. We'll give you the words. Trust Him. And for those of you that don't know Jesus that might be listening this morning, I want you to know that Christ loves you so much. You are a sinner. You are alienated from Christ. The Bible says you're an enemy of Christ. You may not feel like you hate Christ this morning, but the Bible says you do. Yet, in His love, He has taken your sin upon His shoulders and paid for it on the cross. He has paid the penalty of your sin on the cross and He has died for you. And then He rose again, proving that everything He said was true. And He put His Spirit within us as believers. But there's nothing that you can do to earn favor with God. You cannot be a good enough person. We can only be saved by repentance of sin and trusting in the Savior fully. Not trusting in my works at all, but trusting completely in the Savior and in His works. So will you do that this morning as we close? If you need to do that, um, you do that. 
I'll be in the back if you want to talk about it. If you want me to pray with you, I'd love to do that. And if you've done that this morning, there's no magic words. It's repentance of sin and trusting in the Savior. And if you've done that, please come and tell me. Come and tell someone. This is the greatest news. Let us celebrate with you. And for believers, I'll end where Paul began by saying it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand fast in that freedom. Are you walking in the freedom that Christ offers this morning? Or are you being pushed around by what others think? Pushed around by temptation? Thinking you have no power? Pushed around by guilt and shame? Stand fast in the freedom that Christ has earned for you. We have no reason to fear what others might think of us we have perfect assurance in who God says we are and in our future. We don't even have to fear death because of that hope of righteousness that is assured to us. I'm going to give you a few moments to dwell on that assurance and that freedom we have. And if you're not confident in that freedom, maybe today is the day of of repentance. Repenting of trying to control everything yourself. Trying to earn favor. And it's just causing this heavy burden. And this fear. And come back this morning to the free gift. I'll give you a few moments to do what you need to do with the Lord. And we'll close in a song.